Well, it has been a uh, newsworthy week, to say the least, in college basketball. Um, the first weekend of the NCAA tournament complete, the second weekend upon us. I am off to Vegas at time of recording in approximately nine hours. So go me, I suppose. Um, but yeah, things a lot of, lots has happened in the last week. We, we say that often, but between the convergence of a explosive coaching carousel cycle involving one of the coaches we follow closest on this podcast, really two of them, um, a huge week in the portal, and oh, by the way, like some really good NCAA tournament games, it has been a very, 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 very busy few days. So Brad, I guess we open with this, a well-being check on you. We will not spend the first part of the show talking about Ed Cooley. We'll talk about it at the end of the episode. But before we go anywhere, I just need a well-being check. I'm doing horrible. We're we're so fucked, man. We are just like, this is probably the end. The the, uh, media got their wish. The media has been pushing uh, for years now. They say, you know, whenever they would do any one of their numerous segments on Patrick Ewing's ineptitude at Georgetown, they'd always end the segment with, College basketball is better when Georgetown and St. John's are good. Well, they're getting their wish at the expense of Providence because it's basically a zero-sum game. Not exactly a zero-sum game, but if Georgetown and St. John's are going to go up, somebody's got to go down, and that's going to be Providence. It's going to be Seton Hall, um, and we are in dire straits. Well, uh, very cheery way to start the episode. I will say, on a more positive note, that I had a outstanding weekend. Oh, good for you. Betting on March Madness. Betting on March Madness over at the uh, Sportsbook.com. It was outstanding. Um, I was on the heater of all heaters. I did blow a lot of that coin when I tried to bet Duke live in the second half against Tennessee. Stunned that they didn't win, win that game. That was one of the many surprises of the first weekend. Our 16 teams remaining. We have Alabama, San Diego State, Creighton, and Princeton in the South. Uh, In in the Midwest, we have Houston, Miami, Xavier, and Texas. In the West, where I will be headed, Arkansas, UConn, um, Gonzaga, and UCLA, running it back again, those two schools. And then, obviously, in the East, the upset region, uh, we have the nine-seed Florida Atlantic, Tennessee, Kansas State, and Michigan State. Brad, I guess I'll start here. What was the moment of the first weekend, in your opinion? So the moment of the first weekend, I didn't actually get to see a whole lot of. Because uh, for the second straight year, Purdue was melting down during a Providence game on the other station. Um, so I was I was only able to watch Purdue Fairleigh Dickinson during halftime of the Providence game. Which, these mm-hmm. halftimes are insanely long. 20 you minutes. Know, That's horrible. You don't realize it. Well, you you realize that because you were in the building waiting for basketball to resume. But f- for the couch bound viewer, uh, when it gets to halftime, you just switch to the other game. Um, so it wasn't until we got standalone games or you're locked in on a game, like I was with the Providence game, that um, you realize that these these halftimes are unbearable. Um, but so if if I don't. I think the 16 to one upset, obviously nothing's going to match the impact of UMBC Virginia being the first one. And I mean, 
on the last pod, I, I I was throwing out that I I didn't know who to put in the final four from that region. I I ended up going with Memphis, uh, who who also lost in the first round. But Purdue just seems so ripe for an upset. And it is funny in hindsight, all the discourse about you know can Purdue win the national championship? Should they be number one? For them to flame out in the first round to a sub 300 team. I guess they cracked the top 300 after the playing round. On uh, the worst conference where teams are just folding up shop. They didn't even have enough teams to have a real tournament. They had ineligible teams in their tournament in the NEC. I mean, it, it is one of the most unbelievable and embarrassing things in, like, March Madness history. Yeah, so a few thoughts on, again, a debacle at Purdue that, you know, has been going over a million times over, right? Like, at the end of the day, Purdue... This is the type of result that forces a mass reckoning at Purdue of like, is how we're operating as a program functional in March? Because all the credit in the world to Matt Painter, like what he's accomplished there is unbelievable. Like the success that they have year in and year out, regardless of who they lose, is remarkably impressive. But like the the deer in headlights look that you saw from their player from, from their players, particularly their non-Zach E D players, was incredibly alarming. And their lack of athleticism was incredibly alarming. And I give Tobin Anderson all the credit. I, I believe, Brad, I've been a – I think I am number one on the Tobin Anderson bandwagon. I think I was the first – Was he on this podcast? He was not. He did a YouTube show with me um, in 2020 that I did separate from the podcast. You didn't think what? that there would be enough draw for a coach from St. Thomas Aquinas? Unfortunately not, but um, – but Tobin, I've been a Tobin guy for a while. I didn't think he would do this, but I obviously thought he was a really good coach. Um, I will say this, though, and maybe this is just the fact that I watched that game on TV um, and I was really and it was in a media room and you didn't have the full sound. And you're just kind of sitting there. I was I, I watched the end of that game with like Norlander and those guys in the media room. Um, after St. Peter's, nothing feels quite as shocking anymore. And maybe it's just because I was at the St. Peter stuff, so you were more in the moment, more real. But, like, FDU was close, but, like, Princeton didn't feel that weird. And maybe it's just because of Oral Roberts, plus St. Peter's, plus UMBC, plus Fairleigh Dickinson now. But it's just, like, I I sit here after upsets now, and I'm like, yeah, that that's what happens. Well, I, I think the the last, like, huge 15 seed was Florida Gulf Coast, right? Because yeah. the year before we got the Missouri by Norfolk State, um, and I don't remember, was Duke a that two was, seed that year? That was Duke Lehigh, yes. So they were both two seeds, Duke and Missouri? They were. Right, so we had that, and then the very next year we had Florida Gulf Coast. After that, kind of the floodgates were open, and, like, the Middle Tennessees and the yeah. – um, Princeton and St. Peter's or Roberts. Right. The, fact it that it was, the fact that it was Kentucky and it was St. Peter's mattered. And yes. I think there was a little bit of that with FDU Purdue. I mean, I think everyone knew the vulnerability of F, of Purdue versus with Kentucky. I think a lot of people thought they were going to win the, win the championship. Um, but I do think there was a certain element with FDU outside. Like there was this smallest team versus tallest team thing. And I do think that was the one thing that was like truly like, holy Holy bananas. But there was just something about 
all of the upsets this weekend that just somewhat felt ordinary after the St. Peter's thing? The the uh, Princeton one, um, Arizona, right? They're up like one and a half or something. And I went to go get dinner. I said, okay, Arizona's going to pull away here. I got back with like eight minutes left and Princeton's doing it. And they were just, I mean, between that and then the beatdown of Missouri where they were just raining in threes. It is, there, there is something to, so many of these 15 seeds win the second round too. Like, how is that even possible? Like, Murray State got punched in the mouth last year. San Diego State got punched in the mouth by Florida Gulf Coast. Um, Oral Roberts. Don't remember who they beat. They beat Florida. Florida in the second round. Now we got Prince. Prince had dominated Missouri. I mean, so I think what's interesting about it, and I saw the, I think the Heat Check guys pointed it out. Like all of these teams that are 15 seeds going on runs, they're not winning the regular season in their league. They're like the two, the three, the four seed. And I'm curious, like what the backing is behind that, because if there's any coincidence there, other than that's just how you get seeded if you get that. You know, because I think on one hand, right, like there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that coming into the tournament hot wins you games. Right. Like <laughs> AM, obviously, even like if you look at the mid majors, like Iona had won 14 straight, they got whacked. A- Asheville was hot, they got whacked. Right. A lot of these teams just got, you know, destroyed. Um, but for some reason, it just seems like, and may, I, I guess maybe the hypothesis would be that. These teams in the 100 to 120, maybe 150 range are the mid-majors that had a lot of upside, but took a little longer to put it all together, right? So, for instance, in the example of Princeton, Princeton's metrics might have gotten tanked by the fact that, you know, Princeton lost Jalen Llewellyn, Drew Freiburg, um, and Jalen, not Jalen Gavinon. Ethan Wright. Ethan Wright, excuse me. Yes, the other Colorado Ivy kid. They lost three really good transfers out of the program. And so they were, you know, working in new guys to the rotation, freshmen. So maybe then retrospects got tanked early and then they built it, you know, built it up late and were better at the end. That, that, that I'm open to, right? Oral Roberts is a 15 seed, right? There's not even a pattern of like, oh, which ones would be vulnerable necessarily? Like, Ohio State didn't play through the post, right? If you want to say, well, you know, Kentucky and Purdue and all these teams, you know, and uh, Arizona are all big man first. Yeah, but Kentucky wasn't. So I don't, it's hard to, it's hard to wrap your head around it. I do know, I do know that like the idea that, oh, the COVID year, like I saw that, I think Dan Hurley said this, like the COVID year is why you're seeing more upsets. Well, like Princeton's literally not allowed to have the COVID year. And they were playing a team that added two COVID year kids in like May. Cedric right? Henderson and Courtney Ramey. Yeah. Right. And kid, uh, St. Peter's had no kids who were COVID year old. They had the, their oldest kid was Nadefo, who is a regular senior. Um, Fairleigh Dickinson had COVID year guys, but. They were D2. They were D2 kids. I mean, also, like at the end of the day, like the Purdue Fairleigh Dickinson thing is entirely on Purdue. Like, I give Tobin Anderson all the credit in the world. I think he did a great job. I think they had the right game plan. That game plan still gets shredded by Purdue if Purdue plays well. But also, like, Purdue's going to be good next year, too, with or without Edie. Obviously, with Edie, they'll be back as, like, a one seed. Without him, maybe they're, like, a six seed. But, like, they have a – you know, people were, were making a lot about it, and they 
were probably right that Purdue's upside was limited because they had a freshman backcourt. Well, now that freshman backcourt is going to be a sophomore backcourt that just played a ton. And well, what's, what I think is tricky, though, with Purdue, and then we'll move on from the Purdue thing. Um, Purdue needs, like, a boogie guard. Like, Purdue needs, a, like, a Carson Edwards, a Jaden Ivey type of player, even though those guys didn't get them to the Final Four. Like, they need a, a dynamic guard. But how do you sell a dynamic guard on playing there? It's like Fletcher Lawyer going to come off the bench? Is he going to – is the kid you're talking about going to start at the three? Sure. I mean, like, they had, you know, Brandon Newman at one time was seen as, like, a microwave scorer type, not necessarily as, um, like, a three-level scorer like a Carson Edwards or anything, but um, – but, but yeah, look, looking at this roster for next year, I mean, if it's Smith, Lawyer, Newman, Gillis, and Edie with First and Kaufman and Morton off the bench, I mean, that's still going to be a one seed, right? <laughs> as long as Edie yeah. goes back, yeah. If Edie's there, they're a one seed, no doubt. Yeah. But I mean, I, I almost wonder, like, reputationally, will the hit from this be too big? Right? I think with Virginia, there was like, oh my God, like, it, Virginia. There was always going to be like, oh, will Virginia be able to do it in the tournament again? And they were struggling with Gardner Webb. And I was like, oh, shit. Um, I do remember that very, very well. That the very next year, it was like, oh, here we go again. But I think, I do think Virginia kind of, I don't think people question Virginia quite as much as they're going to question Purdue. Well, Virginia people. Certainly questioned Tony Bennett's style and whether it was right. translatable. But, I, but they right. the very next year, obviously DeAndre Hunter comes back from injury. That, that was the biggest thing. Right? They, they, they could blame they could blame the Hunter thing and they were playing a much better team. Right. And I think I think with Purdue, like they are forever damaged reputationally. Well, well because think, right? Virginia loses to the sixteen seed. No one cares that Hunter was hurt, obviously. But the very next year, they kind of sil- they they silence all the haters. Whereas Purdue, they lost to North Texas in the weird COVID tournament. They lost to St. Peter's um, last season, and now again. So it, it just keeps building. Um, yeah, and there's the Little Rock thing moving yes, back further. That was, and all these games have a similar feel to them. That's the scary thing. Well, the, these these super high seed teams, they they just get so tight. Like oh my god, this is happening. Like they they can feel the the meta aspect. They can feel the social media frenzy raining down upon them. All all the people that lost their uh, sure thing Purdue money line bet probably freaking out in their DMs and stuff. So um, I will that- say I I do wish I had thrown a couple of couple of bucks on a uh, FDU uh, at, at Bovada. Didn't couldn't couldn't get myself to uh, pull the trigger. Money line or, or spread? You're saying? Well, I should have bet the spread, and I didn't. Um, I would have had fun if I had bet the money line, but either way. Um, other takeaways from the first weekend, Brad. Um, the bracket got really, really, really easy for Alabama in a hurry. Creighton I mean. Is- Creighton is the one thing stopping them from going to a Final Four. 
the thing about Creighton, obviously, is they're, they're, they're very talented. They play very good defense. They have a great rim protector. But Al- Alabama has the most talent of anyone in the tournament, right? You, you, you throw Alabama versus Creighton's lineup, and, like, are, are we going to put Baylor Shireman on Brandon Miller? Figure, oh, no, Kaluma. I think you put Kaluma. But, but then Shireman's going to guard no, no Clowney? I guess. I, mean, I think I think Creighton has probably a better shot than people are giving them credit for because they have dynamic guards, because they have a athletic wing in Kaluma, and they have a really good rim protector in Kalkbrenner. And they shot the lights out um, against Baylor, and they survived against NC State, a game where they shot like crap. Um, so if, if, if Creighton shoots the ball well, they have that defensive infrastructure. They have a very good coach. Where I I think that they're they're a pretty good bet to pull off the upset compared to other comparable teams in other brackets like a Xavier like a Tennessee I like a Miami I think Creighton has a better chance than most of those comparably seeded teams. I agree with that, um, but I do think if you're Alabama, you couldn't have asked for an easier path, right? I mean, you get the 16 seed, and then you get an 8-9 game that was not either overly very competitive 8-9 teams, West Virginia and Maryland. Um, then you get San Diego State, who give them credit. They do play defense. They can probably suck the life out of a game, but they're not. You know, they're not realistically beating Bama. And then your fourth game, obviously, would be that Creighton game to get to a Final Four. And they're also matched up with the region that had the most chaos, right? And, and that's an easy segue where you have the number one seed out in Purdue, the number two seed out Marquette, the number four seed still around in Tennessee, but injured without Sakai Ziegler, the five seed Duke that was the trendy pick out, the six seed Kentucky, which was a trendy pick out, and the eight seed Memphis that was a hugely trendy pick out. Right? Alabama has already beaten Michigan State. Alabama lost to Tennessee, um, but in a close game on the road, like, is Alabama really losing to Kansas State in a Final Four game? They're not. No. They're not losing to Michigan State. I watched Alabama-Michigan State. This was in November, and I get that Malik Hall was out. But you watched them in November, and it was was striking. And this was when Michigan State was beating people. It was striking how much less talented they looked. If Michigan State plays Alabama in the Final Four, they might lose by 15. So I don't know who you think is going to come out of the East. But things will get interesting. And I'm gonna, uh, Tennessee is probably the best chance of actually beating Alabama. But I'm not totally sure Tennessee is putting together two more good games. Right? They're, they're due for an offensive clunker. I mean, that was the Louisiana Lafayette game, right? That's true. That was brutal. But um... They made shots against Duke. Kamala. Like I said, I lost my, I lost my shirt on, uh, on Bovada trying to trying – to pull that one off but oh well marquette fans gotta be sick to their stomach oh my god they they played like crap and they had they, they still had that 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 michigan state game there for the taking Kolak was like he was drunk or something man um probably was the big bandage on his thumb or big splints whatever it was on his thumb if but. if 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 marquette didn't have the whole team potentially coming back i like i don't know how i would be inconsolable they at least can take some solace in the fact that there's like a good chance they'll be preseason number one. <laughs> preseason number one. Oh my god. <laughs> Why not? 
I I I will say the uh, two teams that got the heat for wait a second uh, where does ranking them so high because they're running them back Creighton who's now in in the Sweet 16 TCU who was so close yeah um they played Gonzaga super tough um both those teams showed out well so I mean TCU wound up about where you would have expected. Like, if you're looking at Ken Palm, TCU was, like, mid-20s. That was where I think we had them. Creighton wound up a little outside the top 10. But I think better metrics-wise than people who were, like, anti-run-it-back. Better than that, but also as bad or worse as the run-it-back people would have thought from a, like, overall record standpoint. Part of that's the Kaluma or the uh, Kalkbrenner thing, obviously, but. So let's see, where else should we hit? Um, you can go to the other side of the bracket, the Midwest. Um, Miami over Indiana. That was a disastrous performance by Indiana. I mean, it was just like snap your fingers, and it was like 15-point game. Which I mean, that's... Go on. So my, my thing with this is, my, my thing with Indiana is this. I understand the limitations shooting the basketball. I understand the inconsistencies of Jalen hood Um and, and that was, you know, a, a huge part of their team story this year. But I also look at that game and I see them get hammered on the offensive glass. And I see them get out rebounded overall by, by a Miami team that has like one guy over six foot seven ever on the floor. And you have Trace Jackson Davis and Race Thompson. What are we doing? Like what happened here? And I think. You know, again, this is not a Mike Woodson's on the hot seat, whatever. Like, Mike Woodson did a really good job, I think, generally. I, I, not a really good job. He didn't do a bad job with this group. Like, they were fine. But the chickens are going to come home to roost here when Trace is gone, which he is now. And people can say, oh, Trace didn't win anything. Trace whatever. Question Trace's legacy. Question how hard Trace plays. Question, you know, like... Like, I came away from that game feeling like Indiana needs a maniac. Like, Indiana needs a guy who's just, like, completely batshit crazy and is, like, willing to just, like, throw his body around. Like, Nor- like Norchad did. Right? Like, an Oscar Sheboy type. They need, like, a guy who will just be, like, physical to be physical. Right? A tone setter for their team. I think that's important for them. But it will be really, really fascinating to see how this team looks next year, particularly when you consider the fact that Hood Shafino very well may be gone as well. Oh, yeah. Done. NBA. I agree. I think there's a chance they can maybe MIL him back because I think his stock dropped the last couple weeks of the season. But he still but looks he's huge like for a guard. He handles the ball, scores at three levels, hits the mid range. That's that's really a stock rise. What was that? He doesn't really shoot the three. He will. I agree. Look at, um, look at Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. He's like a monster in the NBA now. I know. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I hesitate to just bash Indiana because I think again, Miami was really good. Miami is a good team. That being said, like that was inexcusable. Like catastrophic in every way to wind up where they wound up. And do I think Miami can beat Houston? Maybe, right? Like, 
that was such a tough performance. Like I think they can match the intensity of Houston. And they have the guards. So Houston looked awful for three halves and then was dominant for its last half against Auburn. And it was Traymond Mark. I I was about ready to throw my shoe through the TV when Kelvin Sampson benched Marcus Sasser and Jamal Shedd with four fouls with like nine minutes to go in the game. Like this is the NCAA tournament. Get these guys in. And instead, Traymond Mark put the team on his back and extended the lead and, and punched Auburn in the mouth, knocked him out of the game. That lineup was what? It was like Traymond Mark, Emmanuel Sharp, Terrence Arsenault with, I think, Walker and Roberts. Like, how many minutes did Houston play that lineup during the year? And they used it to, you know, secure a spot in the Sweet 16. Yeah, and Auburn was not good in the second half, but that was still a very impressive performance. That a reason why you can't be out on Houston, right? You have to believe in in, in this Houston team. Um, I, I think... I, I think at the end of the day, they have a great chance to get out of this region. Although I do think that Texas has every bit the chance of beating them in a potential Elite Eight game. So, so do you think that Texas is going to get by Xavier? Um, I do. I just think they're a little bit more complete. I mean, Xavier was on the ropes against Kennesaw State. Yes. Nunji was terrible. I mean, boom. It, basically, everyone was was just apathetic on defense. And then as I put in our group chat, like, man, I, I hate Nunji. He can't even protect the rim as a seven-footer. He gets a game-saving block, like not 10 seconds later. Um, and that's, that's all it takes because then they get a pit team who's coming out of the playing game and not the talent level of Xavier, and Xavier's able to blow him out of the water. Who who do you think feels worse about this Xavier resurgence? Zach Fremantle or Travis Steele? Steele. It's like every time Fremantle... Right, so last year it was the whole, well, you can't play Fremantle and Nudge together over and over. And then when Jonas Hayes takes over and he doesn't play them together, they win a tournament. And then this year, Fremantle goes out and, like, everyone who watches Xavier is like, you know what? I think they're better with Jerome Hunter in there. Like, literally everyone who watches pipes in with Xavier's definitely better with Jerome Hunter. So maybe next year, if, if the front court is Hunter and Fremantle, maybe that'll be the uh, true Zach Fremantle legacy challenge. Yeah. Legacy test. Um, and then working our way down to the bottom part of the bracket. That's UConn, Arkansas, and then Gonzaga, CLA. UConn looks every bit the UConn of like late November right now. It's those those three point shooters, man. When Jordan Hawkins is on, when Hema Lean is on, when Joey California and Tristan Newton. I mean, they have a bunch of really good shooters, and th- there were games this year. I think, I think I mentioned last podcast, the Marquette Biggie semifinal game, the Providence at Providence game, where those guys got wide open looks, didn't hit them, and that was the difference. Um, but versus Iona, versus St. Mary's, th- those guys were confident, those guys were pulling, and uh, 
it's going to be a tough matchup with Arkansas, obviously, because Arkansas is so big and athletic. That's what's giving me some pause here, but um, UConn set up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I think you mentioned, obviously, the shooting, and the shooting is a big part of it. But I also think, like, Adama returning to, like, game wrecker mode has been huge. I mean, he has been dominant in the second halves, especially. Um, and Hurley said maybe it's some freshness, like they've been a little bit rested lately, which is obviously a big deal at this time of year. But Arkansas has got bodies to throw, and they will be physical in this game. And I expect Moss will have a great game plan. I think they'll try to keep it in the half court. They'll slow the game down. They'll grind it out. And they'll hope that Council and Devo can make tough shots. Basically, I mean, what they did in the second half against um, against Kansas, which I did not see it all coming. That was one of the other games that I got destroyed uh, on, on Bovada this week. was like, man, like, they started so poorly, Arkansas did, and had to dig themselves out of a hole. And I didn't think they were really built to do that. I thought they had to keep the – and keep the score down, keep the pace composed, and just win it with Council and, and with Devo, and and maybe with Nick Smith. And instead, it just kind of just turned into a chaos game. And that also played, I guess, into Arkansas's favor. I'm just not sure that's going to work against UConn. But on the other side, Sonogo kind of struggles with length, and they got the Mitchell twins. They have Jordan Walsh, who might be like the best defender in the country. He's so much fun to watch. He can, you know, you you can throw him on Hawkins if you want. You're gonna have Anthony Black is huge. Obviously, Devo Davis is a very good defender. Um, Klingon has been kind of taken out of faster paced games, you know, sp- specifically the St. John's game, um, where you where UConn lost at home. So there's 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 potential for UConn to be a little. Disrupted by Arkansas's length and athleticism. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and in the second game, we have Gonzaga-UCLA. Um, historically significant game, obviously, with the history between these two teams. A um, lot of the same faces, particularly on the UCLA side from the Final Four game, would be even more if Jalen Clark was there. But, you know, Singleton and Tiger and Jaime Jaquez are obviously big parts uh, of that team still. Uh, and then on the other side, you have, you know, Timmy obviously uh, and Anton Watson who were who were there on that team. So I'm excited. I think it's going to be a great game. I think Gonzaga probably just has a little too much firepower, but it feels risky to bet against UCLA. Absolutely, and you know they're down with no Clark, but seems like Singleton's good to go. And they're running, you know, a much tighter rotation. But it's it looked good so far. Looked good against Northwestern. Obviously, looked good against Asheville. Um, looked good in against Oregon when they were down a Dembona as well. Um, so between Campbell, Hawkins, Singleton, they got these really good veterans that are just making plays and they're fit well and it's just coming together. Yeah, they're just they're also just the toughest team in the country. Like they're just unbelievably gritty. That, that that means something. So I don't know. We'll see. Like my hunch says that we get Yukon Gonzaga, we get Houston, Texas, we get Alabama Creighton, and we get K State. I could really go either way in the East. 
I can see myself with Michigan State. I can see myself with FAU. I, I think all four teams can realistically win their first game. But if we get three of those three, if we get those three games, Texas, Houston, um, UConn versus Gonzaga or UCLA for that matter, um, and then Alabama Creighton, that would be an unbelievable Elite Eight, particularly considering we have already kind of basically said uh, all these upsets made the first weekend fun, right? The thing you always worry about when you have a lot of upsets is like, oh, yeah, you can ruin the second weekend. Uh, the second weekend is not ruined. So I'm excited. It should be fun. I could quibble. You know, I did have Memphis in the Final Four. Maybe if we had Memphis, Tennessee. That would be a lot of juice today. Sorry, Florida Atlantic. But, you know, obviously – I think we got Marquette, Kansas State could have been maybe a little not not more national casual juice obviously than Michigan State. Um, but you know Marquette was so fun to watch, man. They they moved the ball, they had these shooters, they were making plays. Oso with his little push shots. I mean, that was a fun team. But you know, Michigan State is also fun. They got great guards. Tyson Walker is electric. Hauser's hitting shots. He's 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 playing with a ton of confidence. So. You know, That'll be a good game. Someone, Not, pointed out, someone pointed out that it was South Carolina as the seven seed that made it the last time the regionals were at Madison Square Garden. Um, I can't decide if that means that like Michigan State's winning it as the seven seed, or it means like FAU slash K State, like irrelevant program wins it. You know. Think about how weird the matchup would have been if it was Kansas State Marquette, where the narrative would have been like everyone thought these teams were going to suck so bad. And they okay, were the best, yeah, the best coaches in the country, only because we didn't know how they they didn't know how to do their jobs. Did um did, did you see Ken Palm puffing up, puffing up out out his chest that he has this theory, data back that if you are a one or two seed and you were not, I don't know if it was ranked at all in the preseason or ranked X high in the preseason. It was ranked at all. Ranked at all. You're you're. You're doomed for failure, um, and they both lost. And he's. So I think that I think that's a good, like a logical theory. That being said, I do like I I think there was a larger like analytics community take, and this has been something that's bubbled up the last couple of years, that like the preseason AP poll matters way more than people realize, and like that's really what you should be going on when you're hawking out at the top. Who's going to win the NCAA tournament? Um, and I, I do think to a certain extent, like that is true. And I think statistically backed up that it is true. But I saw a lot of people like making that victory lap um, when Marquette lost. And I found that odd because like three minutes before Kansas State had beaten Kentucky, which was the perfect example of a matchup of preseason hype versus regular season success like when there's a that obvious outlier we should probably be careful about how we approach it i think I, do you remember if kentucky was favored um on bovada i know because i know creighton was favored was kentucky favored in that game i wouldn't weren't uh, uh, kentucky's metrics kind of middling they kentucky was favored i just checked it was kansas state was plus 130 went out right wow But no, I, that's that's a great point, and it, 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 it is crazy how 
those teams fall to vastly in, inferior teams. Like, no one's saying that actually Philly Dickinson was better than Purdue. Or actually, right. well, I mean, maybe some people now will say actually Michigan State was better than Marquette. But. Part of it, I suppose, I understand. Just from the perspective of, like, talent is a very key predictor in the NCAA tournament. You have to get the players. And we as the regular season, you can get by on synergy and kind of vibes. Right. You can, yeah, you can get, you can get by based on home court advantage and toughness and, and grit and in tournament, you need dudes. I think that's fair, but I also like, I, I guess I quibble with it because like, Mark, the idea that Marquette didn't have dudes is crazy to me, right? Marquette has a f- couple of fringe NBA players in Oso and uh, oh, Omax. They have one of the best point guards in the country in Kolick. They have a all-conference level guy in Cam Jones, right? Like, this team is not untalented. Um, maybe there's a little bit lacking in, like, the top-tier talent department. Maybe. They're, they're, they're small and they're thin, Right. I guess my I guess the way I would put it is this. Marquette is not in the preseason top 25 this year because no one knew who the players were. Marquette is going to have had a great season. Marquette will be in the preseason top 10 next year, almost guaranteed. Does that mean that magically now Marquette will be set up to win in the tournament? Yes. That's that to me is the problem. But either way. The, um, the only other outcome is they go the way of Hubert Davis and Kyle Neptune. Um, and then the, then the shock of haters will be out in full force. I did see the tweet that uh, they lost, that shock has lost like eight of his last nine and still play tournament games, which is like banana land. That's unfathomable. I know. I mean, part of it's he's had a lot of like middle seeds. But like, it's because he, I mean, He's had one, three, and one three in that depart- that time frame. It's 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 because he was relying on the one and done big man, these goofy Texas teams. Well, and now and now it's because he's wearing long sleeve shirts under his polos. Absolutely. <laughs> if you're if you're dressing like Rob Doster, you have no no chance of success. The NCAA tournament. Is that the joke going around the field of sixty eight offices? It is, yes. But anyway, um. Let's talk carousel um, because there's been a lot here and a lot of it involves the Big East and a lot of it involves Providence. And that's your area of expertise, Brad. Um, you said you're obviously disappointed that, and you said kind of the zero sum game, like somebody's going to go up if Patino and um, Georgetown are improving and that you feel that Providence is likely headed down. We do have the name that is um, being zeroed in on, I believe is the reported wording, but by all intents and for all intents and purposes, I can confirm that, uh, Kim English will is expected to be the next head coach of the Providence Friars. Kim English is a friend of the pod, um, friend of the um, friend of the program. Is a I, I, I guess the way I would describe it is this: Kim English. If you meet Kim English, you will immediately be like, "This guy is the next big dude in coaching." If he wants you to believe that, is right. He's still bound. Huh? The whole. He has, he has put a spell on our whole group chat. They listened to the, the Jordan Sperber podcast that he did. They read the article you wrote. 
They've watched a press conference, this, that. They are, are smitten immediately. So, like, I, yeah, I, I really do think, like, he his he fits the mold in every way from talking to him to looking at him to the way he operates, the way his background is, whatever, of being, like, the next guy, right? But the path to actually that is way way more tricky than people realize, right? Like, Tobin Anderson was not the guy on the path to being the next guy, and all of a sudden now he's a guy, right? Like, Kim English is polished and great, but, like, he actually has to win basketball games. And he's only proven to be mediocre at that so far, right? Like, he has not had a bad year at Mason, but I think in both of his seasons at George Mason, he probably slightly underwhelmed compared to his talent level. Um, And I think also left some meat on the bone in close games. That's fair to say. Um, I think the fact that he's recruited as well as he has at George Mason, right? Um, the big name in that sense is obviously um, landing Justin Fernandez, local top 100 kid, who you would have to think is probably going to follow to Providence, given that Justin um, was recruited by Providence the first time. But there is some risk here because and I think the bad something up is this, right? Like if Kim English does win at Providence, Kim English will not be a Providence long, right? Like if Kim English takes Providence to like the tournament in the next two years, he will be all, immediately be like, what SEC job is Kim taking? What big ACC job? Like what name job is he going to take? Well, the, the message board found a tweet from Kim English from 2018 where he said his dream school was Georgetown and he would have <laughs> run to Georgetown, which is like the funniest thing. I mean, Let's say Kim English is the coach for five years at Providence and Cooley goes off to work for Fox and then Kim English goes from Providence to Georgetown. <laughs> that would be Groundhog Day, yeah. That would be incredible. No, but um, I don't think it matters if Kim English leaves after whatever, two years, three years, if they have success. As long as they have success, obviously. Uh, and, and success for Providence, and, you know, Maybe we should pivot to the Cooley talk. Listen, you'll see all the hate and and vitriol on Twitter, and a lot of it, people are are freaking unhinged. A lot, of, a lot of people have lost their marbles on Twitter. Um, but at the end of the day, if Ed Cooley put on Twitter right now at 10:09 p.m. on March 21st, I had to change heart on going back to Providence. All those tweets would be deleted. They'd all be back on board with Cooley within a millisecond. Okay? Everyone who, when this looked like it could have been Cooley posturing for a raise, could have been Cooley leaving for Georgetown. Everyone who said, oh, are we going to do this, hold us hostage for a raise every year? We should move on. Find those people don't actually think that, right? Everybody loved Cooley. The, the curmudgeons on the message board loved Cooley. Everyone from top down was so in on Cooley being the province coach for the end of time. And in my opinion, the team that they had built up for 23-24 with a transfer wing and a transfer big, that would have been province's best team under Cooley. That would have been like a top 20 team. That would have been like a seriously really good team. So that team's obviously out out, out the window. Um, but 
kind of where I was going with this, right, is success for Providence, you, you just have to make the tournament. You know, making the top 25 is nice. Obviously, winning, winning tournament games is great. But at the end of the day, if you just make the NCAA tournament, we're cool. So if Kim English coaches here three years, makes two or three NCAA tournaments, and then goes off to coach Georgia or Tennessee when Rick Barnes retires or whatever, that's actually a better thing than it has been for the Providence stepping stone in the past when Rick Barnes left, when Rick Pitino left, when Pete Gillen left, because so much of this narrative that's per- perpetuated by the media about Providence, right, is that this is all Cooley, no Providence. Right? All the credit goes to Cooley. None of the credit goes to Providence. Well, if you can have Kim English come in there and have success, then that narrative changes, and this job is seen more by the media and by the fans as something that can, can withstand a coaching change is actually pretty, you know, a, a pretty serious job. So what I do think is interesting – Providence is like an obviously better job than like Seton Hall. In every way, in my opinion. The only thing interject really quick. The biggest disconnect between the media and and fans and and me, me, I guess, right, is that I think people put way too much weight on history and jobs, right? Because what is a job? I think a lot of the media talks about jobs as in, what coach would take this job? I, I personally think of it as what recruit would sign up to play for this school. Like what, I think brand has way more to do with a recruit than a coach. At least I, I think that that's a more relevant way to look at it. I think a lot of people get hung up on, on, on you know, teams and players who played there when the current recruits weren't even born. I agree with that. But sorry, go on. But I do think, I guess my point would be, like, the idea that, like, Seton Hall was like, oh, we lost Kevin Willard, who was basically doing what Cooley was doing, give or take, right? You could yeah. say Cooley was probably slightly more successful than, than Willard, right? He did it, like, two or three years faster than Willard, but they were doing the same thing. Yeah. Right. And Willard left, and, and again, part of it was that Shaheen was coming off the Elite Eight, but it was like, oh, you know, actually, they're going to get better. You know, that Willard was like holding them back, but the narrative with with Providence is like, oh my God, the sky is falling. The program will never win again. Like that does, that to me doesn't make a lot of sense. Like I I think it's a place, I think it's a place you can win. I'm not saying it's going to be a place where they go to the tournament every single year. I'm not saying it'll be a place they will always have the success they had under Ed, but I just think at the end of the day, like there's resources, there's facilities, there's fan support. The NIL is probably not as good as Georgetown, but it can't suck. According to Goodman, they they have NIL, which on on one hand I was a little surprised, but on the other hand, like they got a lot of good transfers and recruits recently. So right, well, and and that's my thing, right? Like I'm not saying that Kim English can't coach. Like I think he can. I think it's possible he'll wind up being a really good coach. But like to me, like the path to like Providence winning under Kim English is fully like he gets some elite recruits. And I think it's very possible he will recruit better than Cooley. And it also kind of style of play, like our 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 group chat was going off about in the Sperber interview where Kim English was like, our, 
if we count corner threes as four points and mid-range long twos as one point, like obviously that that's a very far cry from how how cool he thought of the game. But has Kim English really been able to put that into action at 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 George Mason yet? Right, this is a huge risk. Right, the hire was clearly made based off personality and vibes. Right, not basketball. Right, it's like we think this Kim English guy is so impressive and has such a cool resume with all all of his stops as an NBA player as an assistant coach that he he's going to do a lot better at Providence than he did at George Mason. Right. That's that's the whole basis for the hire, right? His his on on court kind of track record is going to be a complete roll of the dice. But I, I think I think Kim's got to make some good staff hires, right? Like, got to hire someone who can help him recruit in the Northeast. Got to help hire someone who's older and been through the wars in the Big East. And then got to hire Mike Anderson. That would be funny. Where where's uh where's Frank Haith now? Is he at Memphis? Memphis. <laughs> we'll see. I don't think you're hiring Frank Haith, but you never know. <laughs> um yeah. Frank Haith was gonna get the job at St. John's. I don't remember that. Well, that was during the uh the the Anderson search. People were like, well, what about Frank Haith? No. They probably had had the wrong wrong part of the tree, right? Yeah, fair enough. Um, um but just anything else that I want is, oh, I mean, obviously it goes without saying, Cooley did an incredible job at Providence. Yes. But also, like, to claim that he's not stabbing Providence in the back is ridiculous, right? Like, he, anytime your coach leaves like that, he's obviously stabbing that team in the back. So it doesn't mean he's like an immoral human, right. or, you know, like some evil person, but yeah, he did screw over Providence. At the end of the day, like that's, that's I think I think the, the way I would put it is this. I think to blame the end of season struggles on him having one foot out the door or whatever is absurd. Because let me tell you, like. I think there is this perception that a lot of coaches like sit around and like, I'm not even thinking about jobs until the season ends. You know what I mean? That doesn't happen. Coaches love talking about jobs. Coaches love thinking about jobs. They love figuring out what jobs they can get, what their friends can get. Coaches are generally very gossipy, right? Coaches want to get stuff done, right? And if if Cooley truly knew, and you say, well, there's there's stuff about when the the house was listed and all this, right? Like, oh well, Cooley kind of knew he was going to Providence in two weeks, right? So did Rick, like Rick Pitino knew she was going to knew he was going to to St. John's. They won, right? It's not like Cooley stopped coaching. Like, you know, you just, it's like, all right, I'm going to you know, use, use some vacation time. And I understand the, the criticism of, oh, you know, he's Zooming with Eddie Lampkin and all of a sudden. Like, is he supposed to not do his job, right? Like, I get that he's building a relationship on, like, Providence Dime. But, like, even, like... He, is he supposed to just wait and not recruit? And also, like, do we know that, like, Cooley was sitting around with Eddie Lampkin all the time? Like, obviously, he built a relationship. Like, there was certainly, like, his assistants also had to do their jobs. And his assistants probably knew some but didn't know all. And also, all his assistants probably aren't going. No, I think all, I think all of the recruiting assistants are going, right? All three I, are going? I don't know if that's probably I, I just haven't looked. 
I don't know that for certain. No, but on, on the Eddie Lampkin thing, right? So Providence's game was on Friday in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. We get the Weingarten tweet either Tuesday or Wednesday that he had a Zoom with Eddie Lampkin. And now when I saw that tweet, I, I was a little encouraged because looking at the Providence roster, Eddie Lampkin was exactly what that Providence roster needed. Yeah. And I was like, it, like he wouldn't just build like the like why would why would he take Eddie Lampkin to Georgetown? If he's leaving Providence to build a national championship contender at Georgetown, that 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 didn't add up. And then all these portal names that came off of Providence, they all made sense with the Providence roster. So that's why I was like, hmm. I, I truly think Cooley was doing his job, right? Like maybe, may like maybe he will take some of these guys at Georgetown, but I I don't I don't think he's sitting there like, oh, you know what I'm doing here? I'm just selling Georgetown. You know what I mean? Well, he obviously knows it's in the back of his mind. He was definitely selling to Rashawn. 24-7 had the article pre-written yesterday. Eddie's going to Georgetown. Yeah. They posted it accidentally when a account that may or not be fake said Eddie Lampkin committed to Georgetown. Well, no, but he's not recruiting. He's not selling Georgetown. He's just selling himself. There's you don't think he's selling Georgetown to Eddie Lampkin. I don't the think he was selling- fully took the Georgetown job. No, no, no. Let me say this. I don't. He was not selling Georgetown until he got Georgetown. Because if he had said, if he was telling Eddie Lampkin, I'm going to Georgetown, it would have leaked. It leaked two weeks ago. PMT no, no, commenter no. tweeted it. No, no, no. It would have leaked like, like it would have been out, right? Like a recruited, like Joe, like Joe Tipton would, or, or or Jake Weingarten would 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 report, you know, a recruit is telling me that Ed Cooley is telling him he's going to Providence or to go to going to Georgetown. Excuse me. Obviously, people knew what was going on. That's not, I'm just saying, like, the idea that he's sitting on the Zoom on Tuesday and like, hey, you know, between you and me, I'm not going to be here very long. I'm going to be at Georgetown, end of the week. But just hang in. Let's do this Zoom, right? Like, that's not how it works. So, so you think that Eddie Lampkin on that Zoom committed to Providence? No, no, no. I'm saying he just goes on the Zoom and he talks to Ed Cooley about life. They just talk. They just build a relationship. They don't talk about Providence. They don't talk about this. They don't worry about the bat. It literally has nothing to do with, like, oh, you're going to be the starting center. It's literally just like, hey, you know, we want you. Here's how you fit my style of play. Right? It's stuff like that. It's not – he's not saying – like, I, I, I doubt the word Georgetown was uttered unless Eddie Lankin asked. That's the way I would put it. Maybe I'm wrong. I I think the point in my favor here is that 24-7 had an article pre-written that they tweeted and then deleted on Monday. The same day Ed Cooley took the Georgetown job that said Eddie Lampkin had committed to Georgetown. I mean, it's not to say that everyone didn't know that was going to happen. Also, I think that might have gotten pre-written like Sunday or Monday morning. Once the job got taken. Because, I mean, I think everyone knew, but anyway. Um, not to be- belabor the Cooley point, but there is another Big East job we should talk about, which is Rick Pitino to St. John's. Another thing that, like, everyone kind of knew was happening. It's, um, it's going to come back to Cooley, though, because in Rick Pitino's press conference, well, not Cooley, but Providence, uh, in, in Rick Pitino's press conference, he said that Billy Donovan, who is a Providence alum, called Brian Shanley 
the former Providence president, now the St. John's president, to pitch Rick Patino, the former Providence coach, to St. John's. Yes. Does that bother you? Yes, because we should have Rick Patino as the Providence coach. Fair. Like, Billy Donovan must have run that by the Providence president before he ran it by the St. John's president, you'd think. I don't think that's true. You don't? No. Well, I think a couple of things. Number one, like, where do Billy Donovan's loyalties lie? Doesn't lo- His loyalty lies with the people he dealt with. He lies with the Shanley guy, right? Not the problem. He didn't deal with Shanley. Shanley was the president when I was there. But he has a relationship with Shanley. I don't know the other Apparently, to, huh? apparently also, to send the Hall of Fame coach over to St. John's instead of us. Also, to be clear, because I dealt with this with Richard Patino in New Mexico. There's a lot of like a lot of like rewriting the story where it's like, oh, you know, like Billy Donovan is the one who made it all happen. Because that's that's the story with Richard, too, is that Richard like Richard or, or, or Billy Donovan's the former college coach of the New Mexico AD and Billy Donovan call, you know, call, calls Eddie. Eddie Nunez, the, the New Mexico AD, and say, like, hey, like, I know you're looking for a coach. You have a lot of respect for my opinion. I think you should hire Richard Pitino. He's, he's going to be available. He's going to get fired. Right? I'm like, a lo- I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm generally skeptical that that's how things actually work. I think there's a lot more, like, back-channeling and that, like, official phone call happens, right? Like, Pitino, Pitino knew he wanted St. John's. Right. That was what Patino wanted. So Patino was going to make sure through his relationships, namely with um, Billy Donovan and with the president at St. John's and through his agent and through his rich, rich friends and anyone who knew. Basically, let's make sure that the president at St. John's gets on board with me being hired. And then from there, we can make it work. So whether that's Oh, Billy Donovan calls, or oh, this guy calls, right? Like some connection has to happen where the president decides this is our guy. But I just think I think it's all scripted on the side of right. Like Richard Patino, when he's at Minnesota, is calling Billy and saying, I might be interested in New Mexico. Can you help me? But make it seem like I didn't do that. Right. I think that's really the way it's spun. Like the the first point of contact is still coached to coach the school just through a different different means well i still want rick patino so fair enough rick patino is going to win at st john's pretty quick like they're already going to get ian jackson i guess they're flipping him from unc so they're going to have joel soriano well so first rick said he had, he's only going to keep six or eight players from the 14 that are currently signed up for for st john's next year it's great um, but he's going to keep Soriano. Yeah. My, my guess is he will try to keep AJ store. He's really good. AJ store. Agreed. I would guess he will try to, it sounded like he was going to try to keep Treyor. 
Huh? Yeah, he mentioned Teresa Traor for some reason. Maybe he has his players confused. Maybe he means Omar Stanley. Maybe. Either way, he was going to keep one of the bigs. He's going to keep Soriano. My guess is he'll bring a couple Iona guys. So he'll bring he'll try to bring Walter Clayton. My guess is he'll bring Nelly. It will be interesting playing time-wise, though, how that works, particularly for Nelly. Will Pashte? We'll see. I don't imagine Corbello will. No. Um, although I do really want to see it. Like I would pay money to, to get the Andre Corbello, Mark Patino experience. Um, the big questions are, number one, like what types of portal names can they get involved with? Number two, what happens with Danis Jenkins? Because Danis Jenkins is the other good guard. Walter Clayton's really, really good. There is some buzz that he is open to, uh, to non, non-St. John's suitors. If he is, he's one of the three to five best players in the portal, in my opinion. He's like a fringe NBA player. Um, but Danis Jenkins was a is a 4-2-4. So he was a Pacific and then junior college and then Iona. And I have asked multiple staffs today um, for what their compliance office says about a 4-2-4-4 transfer, i.e., you go to a division one, you go to junior college, you go to a division one from the junior college, and then you transfer for one, one more time without graduating. Would that be eligible? Because theoretically you never used your one-time transfer exception, right? Cause the G you're automatically eligible at JUCO. And I've been told by both people that their current interpretation based on the bylaws is that you are not able to use the one-time transfer exception in that instance because the player has already transferred and left one division one school to go to another. Which again, is just nonsense. And it impacts like a few kids. Like it impacts the Clarence Daniels kid. Um, it impacts um, Jaquan Walton from Wichita. Um, there's a few other guys that it could impact. Um, but Danis Jenkins is one of them. And that's like a, a big piece. One, he, you know, Patino said he's you know, a guy he'd want at Louisville type of thing. Um, the other thing with Danis Jenkins is, like, probably the best player in the Mac. Danis Jenkins stays. Tobin Anderson's got a guy that can maybe win in the league in year one. If he doesn't, it's kind of full rebuild. And I'm not sure how Tobin Anderson's going to recruit. So it will be interesting. But they will bring, like, I think regardless, this will be a very talented St. John's team next year. How I mean, good they will be, we'll see. But, like, I know Goodman said, oh, I'm just going to rank them 25. I don't care where the roster is. Like, I think there's a scenario where the roster is better than that. Yeah, the roster right now with the 14 guys that signed up to play for Mike Anderson, the roster's good. Yeah. Is it tournament good? I don't know. But you could, you know, run off the dead weight, keep the, as Rick said, six or eight best players. Sprinkling three transfers and you got a really good team here. Um, I will say like Rick Pitino did not build his Louisville teams on like five star kids. No, absolutely not. Obviously they'll have an IL, they'll have some stuff to sell. But the idea that like Rick is going to go to St. John's and like get all of these five stars is crazy. Like Ian Jackson will be a statement because he's a city kid. But the other ones, I don't know. I think the other but, thing that is. He would have, like, one or two five-stars. Like, he had, like, Wayne Blackshear and Shane Behannon at once. I think they were, they were both five-stars. Then, like, Gorgie Jang, I don't think was a 
highly rated recruit. Like Luke Hancock was a transfer from George Mason. And Siva and Russ Smith weren't great recruits, I don't think. Uh, you know, like Kevin Ware was a big back of the top 100 recruit. So he he would really build a team based on guys he wanted. But like thinking back to like that era of college basketball, pre like huge social media, huge transfers, I feel like a lot of the best teams did that. Like Syracuse didn't land all five you know Syracuse did the same thing they'd add Rakeem Christmas and Dion Waiters but then they'd be you know Scoop Jardine or something was like a borderline top 100 that they had James Sutherland was like a three-star you know like all, all these teams used to do that UConn used to do that yeah. I don't know where it, where it got to where these best teams just loaded up on like all stud recruits yeah I, I agree um but they're going to be a problem in a hurry. That should be fun. A um, couple other carousel moves. Um, big splash hires. Um, I guess we have Texas Tech hiring Grant McCasland. Seems easy enough. Yeah, very good. North Texas has been very good. He has the Baylor ties that everyone wants these days. The thing with Grant, and I, I will say this, I, I think he's great, a great coach, defensively really, really good. Grant McCasland is not – he does not have, like, a Jerome Tang personality. He doesn't, like, have, like, a crazy presence. I do think at Texas Tech with the boosters, like, I, I do think it's, like, a kind of a kind of a showman's job. And that's not who Grant McCasland is. So I'm curious who he hires on his staff. But North Texas has been awesome – He's a great ball coach. He's going to win. And um, North Texas should theoretically promote Ross Hodge, their top assistant, who is also extremely good and will win. Um, so I like that. Wichita State also went from the Baylor tree. They got Paul Mills. Do we like that hire? I mean, or Roberts has made some killer teams. So the Wichita fans seem very underwhelmed. I mean, he made a Sweet 16. He's had a what, 28 and 5 team. He's had really good players that he's evaluated. Um, what's the issue with them? Um, so I've seen a couple of ones. One is that his record without Max Aismith is like 22 and 44. One is that his record outside of this year is like very mediocre. They've I guess really if, really if really they ever sold the Chris Jans or right. Steve Forbes or even like Darren DeVries and they ended up with Paul Mills, like I get it. I mean, Mills and, and DeVries aren't that different in terms of what they've done. But I, if if you were sold on Chris Jans or Steve Forbes, then you got Paul Mills. Like, I get it. I think there was also like, could, could we get Kellen Sampson? At least there's the upside. Right, the Paul Mills hire seems kind of boring. But like I think he'll be fine. Right? I think his he's got a he he actually is more of a presence than McCasland in terms of like like he's got some shit to him. Um speaking of guys with shit to them, uh Commerce or not Commerce, Corpus Christi head coach, uh Steve Lutz got Western Kentucky, which I love. I think Lutz I think the world of Lutz, I think he's a really good coach. Um I think he'll recruit well, I think he'll navigate like a weird league. Um, 
been at Purdue, been at Creighton, been under some really good coaches, won his league both times. What's so not to like? I mean, I, I can't believe Rick Stansberry <laughs> he never made the tournament with some of those teams he built. He, he had some incredible mid-major rosters. Um, but now we won't have to worry about being persuaded by that flashy roster. Um, Unless Steve Lutz starts recruiting like uh, the new Jaquan yep. Lyle, you know. Yeah, but if but if Lutz gets those guys, that's that's a new ball game and a, a new coach who maybe could figure it out. What? That's true. Um, you know, speaking of these aren't flashy transfers, but like, do you ever think how crazy it is that Florida Atlantic is leaning on Vladislav Golden from you know like the 13th man on Texas Tech, and then two of the rotation guys, Brian Greenlee. Couldn't play Minnesota, and Jalen Gaffney was like a role guy at UConn. Right, those aren't their best players, other than Vlad Golden. Golden is, yeah. Golden's a starter, but he's not that. Like their best players are Elijah Martin and John L. Davis. Oh, there's been a lot of John L. Davis chit chatter in the uh, group chats. I will say, um, I think one of the things that has maybe like maybe even missed there are some people who are like way 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 overrating these like down up transfers like i saw down up transfers like a kid who starts at a decent level goes down produces and then goes back up okay like i saw on three had its shooting guard rankings and had paxson wojcik it's a top, excuse me, top five shooting guard in the portal ahead of Damian Dunn. I like legitimately nearly threw my laptop out the 10 story window that I um, sit in my apartment. I was like, are you kidding me? I think that's school based because Pax and Wojcik came out with a list that had like UNC and Michigan State on it. Which is also preposterous. Pax and Wojcik is a good player. He has zero burst. He's like a... He's like a big glue guy guard. Like, he's not as good as, like, remember Justin Pierce? Yeah, from William & Mary. He's not as – he's not he's not the same position, but he's not as good as Justin Pierce. Justin Pierce transferred to North Carolina, right? I know, and was not good. I That is a deep pull for a pretty recent player. I don't remember him at all. He was completely irrelevant. That's my point. What year was that? What roster was he on? I think he might have been on the Cole Anthony team. Jeez. Yeah, he, so he was on the, COVID, the year of the COVID tournament. Okay, so there was no tournament. No tournament, and they went 14 and 19. That team had... I completely forget about that team. That the team uh, COVID Cole. year is perfect, right? Where... It, so someone can find anything they want out of the 1920 season. Like Maryland was able to file Mar- fire Mark Turgeon because that year never existed. Louisville, Chris Mack, that never existed. I completely forgot that this UNC team even existed. So that team had Cole Anthony, Brandon Robinson, Leaky Black, Garrison Brooks, and Armando Baycott as its starting five, I believe. Yeah, that was a starting five. Their bench was Justin Pierce, Christian Keeling. Charleston Southern. Yeah. 
Andrew Playtech, who started nine games. Um, Anthony Harris. And uh, Jeremiah Francis. Who got hurt, yeah. But... Who I thought looked kind of good. And I was like, oh, man, what a great get for Paul Weir at New Mexico. And now he plays Division Two basketball. Honestly, being so bad that you are going to North Carolina and wind up playing Division Two basketball is a kind of kind of impressive, honestly. Give him credit. I think because you get hurt, and then I think I I think these guys struggle with confidence a lot because it's like the first time in their life where they're not the star. Yeah. That they're just like, oh my god, I'm the eleventh man. What the hell? What I I have to sit here and watch this game? What on earth? Um, no, but that like. We, we just did, like, 10 minutes on me being very uh, apprehensive about Kim English, but, like, the minute Kim English gets a transfer, or the minute that, like, Bryce Hopkins and Jaden Pierre and Devin Carter and Corey Floyd say that they're coming back, I'll be all in. Uh, oh, no doubt. Yeah, you got, you're going to get, like, a, you're, you're going to get a commitment from, like, Charles Pride, and you're going to be, like, over the moon. Can't come up with somebody a little flashier than Charles Pride? I'm sorry. What about Josh Aduro? Okay, that's a good one. Yeah. Anyway, Brad, hope you are hanging in. Do we have anything else we want to get on get 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 to on this pod? Yes. I as 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 bad as as Providence fans have been feeling. Minnesota fans. Oh dear. What's their temperature check? Because they were just horrible. And their best recruit said, no, no, this, this does not look good, this situation. I'm going to take my talents to Louisville and play for Kenny Payne. <laughs> and their starting three-man said, or, or I'm sorry, two, was like, eh, this isn't looking good. I'm going to head to Tony Stubblefield in DePaul. And their starting three-man, Jameson Battle, we haven't found out his – destination yet but i saw he had an in-home visit with butler (laughs) if they lose three starters to depaul butler and louisville ben ben johnson needs to be escorted out immediately and (laughs) like we're i and i i I, I think we missed the talon cooper in the portal again thing i didn't see that well sorry they took Talon, Talon Cooper. They basically gave him everything, right? They're like, here, you can be the guy on a good team. They're, uh, not a good team, but you can be the guy on a high major team. Good brand, good program. We're going to let you do whatever you want. We're going to lose with you. And then he was like, yeah, I'm good. I'll see you later. I mean, I said this at the time, and it's very applicable to URI as well, but you cannot build slow. Because Ben Johnson could be, all right, guys, you guys got some great experience. We're all coming back. You guys ready for next year? Nope. <laughs> Gone. Jaden Henry, Jameson Battle, Taylor Cooper, Dennis Evans. All right, you can't build slow. Archie at URI has lost Ishmael Leggett, their best player. Uh, the guy who they thought and planned to be their best player, Brown Freeman, got kicked off the team midseason. And their other guy who was probably going to be their third best player, who has mentioned Anthony Harris from that terrible – UNC team was academically ineligible. And so that's why, you know, there, there have been like three or four teams that have emulated the Arkansas model where every list you see URI, Butler, Virginia Tech, Loyola Chicago, Loyola, 
Loyola's one too. But at least seems like Butler and Loyola Chicago are getting visits, are getting at least yes. some action. Loyola's in the final three for Demarcus Sharp. They nice. have the first and only scheduled official visit from from Dame Adela Kuhn, um, who's a good player. They have they had an unofficial visit from uh, Evan Taylor from Lehigh, who's pretty good. They have had Zooms with Kowasi Reeves, who I think would be a terrible take. Um, but really? Kowasi Reeves and um, Edan Treitu from Harvard. Reeves also considering Boston College. I mean, he's a top 50 recruit. He's a maniac. To me, that's like a hard stay away. He was getting a lot of preseason buzz, too. I know he's talented and he's yeah. big and can shoot. But, like, I just think, like, I think there are better shitheads out there than Kowasi Reeves. I hope Kowasi's family isn't listening. Sorry. Isn't it? Isn't it weird that Antonio Reeves, Kowasi Reeves, and A.J. Reeves are all, like, 6'6 six, six shooter, six, six shooters that play high major basketball? Something in the, in the water, I guess. I don't know. I wonder if they're all related. But who knows? Um... But yes, there's yeah, Minnesota is some like sneaky, absurdly dire straits. It's like their team for next year right now is what, what Dawson Garcia, Pharrell Payne, Pharrell Payne, who's good. Joshua Ola Joseph is good as yeah. well. Braden Carrington's good, but like this is too much good. Like there's this, no guards on the entire like, roster. Straight back to in, in, in the you know we'll we'll see what Parker Fox looks like. Uh, oh my God! Finally, well, but. last year, last year they were thinking about playing Parker Fox, or they were, they were thinking about playing Jamison Battle at the two, Isaiah Enan at the three, Parker Fox at the four, and Dawson Garcia at the five. Before those guys got hurt, so that's basically the Kenny Payne strategy. I wonder little more talent, a little more talent. Right, but like that Minnesota group, like yeah, those. Those are all good, good, good players, but they're going to be so short on talent again. Also, Isaiah Enan and Parker Fox are both coming off back-to-back ACL tears. Like, who knows if they're going to get? Which is that's that's incredibly un- unlucky. Like, I'll I'll give Ben Johnson that. But oh yeah, no, no, it, it'd be one thing if they had lost two players to like ACL tears each each year. They lost the same two players to ACL tears two years in a row. That's incredible. Another wacky carousel thing. Mike Bray is just like lying to people that he has jobs he doesn't have. He's, like he told people he had Georgetown. No, he's he's hoeing out for a gig. And now he is telling people he had South Florida. And then everyone's like, mm, no, that's not true. And he's like, okay, now I'm going to go work in TV. I will Why say Mike Bray as a Tampa resident would have been kind of great. Why is he just telling people he has jobs he doesn't have? He probably just thinks he does have them. <laughs> Weird business. He's been so out of the coaching search game for so long that at Notre Dame for however many years. He doesn't realize he needs a contract, I guess. <laughs> no idea how it works, yeah. Anyway, um, let's wrap it up. Yeah. Folks, we appreciate you listening. Um, see you all next week ahead of the Final Four. Hopefully the Friars will be in a little better place or a little more certain a place. Um, 
may your favorite team get a good transfer or two um, and not lose its best players. Enjoy your March, folks.